Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have David Richards. Hello. Eric Berry. Hey. Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and uh, I just want to explain really quickly why I've been out the last couple of weeks. A um, couple of things happened. Um, first of all, I was at a couple of conferences that made it a little bit difficult on the timing for the episode. And also, um, about two weeks ago, my, my baby sister was getting married, and we found out right after the wedding that my father had passed away. And so um, I've just been kind of dealing with life. And uh, so I apologize for not being around, but uh, hopefully uh, people find that somewhat understandable. Um, we have a special guest this week, and that is Nate. Nate, do you want to introduce yourself? What's up? Uh, thank you, everyone, for having me. This is awesome. I, uh, yeah, I, you know, I've been a, uh, a Rails developer since like 2005, maybe, when I created a startup that was part of Y Combinator uh, at, the, at the beginning of 2006. And since then, yeah, just making making a lot of software, make, starting businesses. Uh, just previously now, I've been running Rise, the CRM that spun out of uh, Basecamp uh, for a few years, and, and now I'm up to some new stuff. Yep. And uh, yeah, people will find you online as Nate Contney. I, I think I said that right. Mostly, so, yep. Yep. Cool. Um, so yeah, we brought you on mainly because you have this video about uh, whether or not we should start new projects in Rails. And uh, yeah, people might have feelings about this. Sounds like it. <laughs> Before we could dig into that, I want to I want to make sure that we give you the credit you deserve for your background. Um, so. As I was reading up on you, and, and I've heard of you before, but uh, as I understand it, you're the, you know you you ran uh, High Rise for three years. Uh, you had two companies come out of Y Combinator. Um, you were an engineer for President Obama's reelection campaign, which is pretty awesome. And uh, you also created Draft. So let, let's talk a little bit about. You said you started your first one back in 2005. What what was that? And can you tell us a little bit about you know your stack and why you chose the stack and what came out of that? Sure. Um, so yeah. So I was in the second group of Y Combinator ever. Um, it was so yeah the winter of 2006, and we were uh, the first ones in Silicon Valley. We uh, we created a company called Inkling. It, it, you can still get to the website inklingmarkets.com. And it was prediction markets. It was, you know, wisdom of crowd stuff was kind of starting to bubble up a little bit. Uh, there was 
this, um, you know, uh, James Sirwecki wrote the book, Wisdom of Crowds. It was kind of eye-opening. And it was like, it hit a nerve. And I was like, you know what? I really want to create a, a company that helps companies, you know, gather the wisdom of, of their employees better. Um, so I, uh, I, I, we created the startup to, to do prediction markets, which are basically these virtual stock exchanges where people kind of have fake money to buy stocks in decisions and outcomes. They can basically make virtual bets in different things that are happening at companies. Like Procter & Gamble was a client of ours forever, and they would ask questions like, is this diaper project going to get done on time? And employees could place bets. And then you could see kind of how the odds were working. Like, oh yeah, employees really don't think this diaper project is going to get done on time. What can we do about it? You know, should we, should we come up with plan B? Should we really dig into the project managers about what's going on? So it's just, this, it's a way of kind of taking a pulse on like what a company's doing in their projects. So that was, that was it. And we picked rails at the time. It was still like, I think like 0.12 or 0.13 or something it was it wasn't even like a full release yet um i picked it mostly because like i was in the java world at the time you know as a java developer for accenture for years and i wasn't in love with any frameworks i was using i had actually just gotten burned picking a framework kind of a new framework in the java community it was like really hot in all the java magazines that like the support just bottomed out. I, I don't even remember the name of it, but I had built a whole project on it. And then when they had to kind of like support it afterward, it was like all the support was gone from, from this project. So I was really still kind of searching for a really good framework to kind of lean on for future projects and Rails seemed to be very, very promising. So that's when I got into it. That sounds a lot like uh, something that you would be interested in, David. Uh, with uh, What a fascinating idea of actually pulling or, or having your, your own company bet on your success. And it makes me wonder, uh, is that product still in use? Are people still doing that? Yeah. I mean, so my partner acquired Inkling and it's now part of a, a new project, you know, he's been working on uh, with Cultivate Labs. Uh, my partner's Adam Siegel. So he, they've got a lot of cool stuff kind of still in this vein of thinking of kind of crowd wisdom. Um, so yeah, Inkling it kind of theoretically still lives on kind of what we were doing there. I, I love that perspective. I do it a lot in, in our Slack channels where I'll just ask people, what do you think about X? They have no business to know whether it's going to work or not, but I want to know what do people think? And then we get the conversation started because it's really easy for me to get into an echo chamber of what I think versus what we think or what can we learn if we push ourselves a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's dangerous too, right? It's like, as soon as you open up and I've seen this at organizations, as soon as you open up the, um, the floor to everybody, you know, like, Hey, let's vote on something. And maybe the consensus is one thing, or maybe the loudest voices say one thing, but then the leader still has to, to decide and pick something. It can get kind of dangerous. So it's, it's definitely a, um, a tricky thing to bring into organizations. But I think for the most part, even with the, the, those caveats, even with the, the risk, yeah. I mean, I think everybody's lives are better when they feel like their voice is heard, their input at least makes it up to people who are making decisions. So I'm still a huge believer in, in, in what we're doing at Inkling. Yeah, I, I just read uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. And one of, the, one of them is just that, yeah, people can't, honestly express what they feel about things within their team. And, uh, you know, so they can't give any kind of constructive feedback or criticism or anything. And uh, this is a really interesting way of making that happen. I, I, I think that's fascinating. 
Yeah, so around that same time, uh, Django was released, I think, uh, in 2005. And going from a compiled language like Java with classes compiled and all that good stuff to a scripting language with a framework, uh, why did you choose Rails versus Django or PHP and like Cake PHP and stuff? Yeah, right on. Um, there was, I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to really, there's a couple strong things I think that really led me. Um, one was, I, I, I was also using this PHP framework. I don't remember at the time. It was, it was more than just a framework. It was like a whole system of, of kind of making plugins for it. I don't remember it at the time, but it was also something that like was really hot and then it, it crashed and then there was like nobody was supporting it. A bunch of security problems started happening to it. And it was also something I felt burned by. So going into the Rails thing, I was... I I remember thinking really hard about this too. Like, um, you know, Adrian is actually a really good friend of mine right now, Adrian Holovati. And, uh, you know, at the time, Adrian and I weren't friends. I didn't know he had created Django. Um, but, but if maybe, if maybe if I were as good friends with Adrian as I am today, back then I would have, I would have picked, picked, picked Django. But the, but the decision I made back then was, I remember really looking at like, uh, discussion boards, like how many people are in the discussion boards. I was looking for things like how many libraries have been created off of Rails so far or off of Django so far. So it was mostly a numbers game for me back then because it was like I was really just playing the odds. Like, oh, okay, you know, this project seems like it's taken off slightly more than Django has right now in terms of, you know, number of things and supporters that are happening in the community. And I, I made the decision based on that. Like it wasn't at the time, it wasn't really like, I wasn't making like a, you know what, I, I feel like Python's faster or, you know, and I really like the syntax here better. I mean, you know, I, I was really scared about getting burned again. So I think I, I tried to pick the thing I thought was going to stay the hottest for the long term. What made you think it would stay the hottest? I mean, like I said, like it was, it was really a numbers game. I was just trying to pay attention to, you know. So like, you, you're just saying based on the number of people using it, the number of people talking about it, that yep, kind of stuff. Yeah. But at such an early stage, I mean, oh, I, I got in. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. huge yeah. risk. I mean, they had, they had a cool thing, but when you actually came down to hosting the product, hosting the application, I mean, that had its own uh, pile of issues all the way into like mid 1, 1.0. Oh, yeah. Hosting it was a, for Inkling was awful. I mean, it was it was terrible. Um, there were definitely times when we were like, maybe Java should have been the way to go here, uh, because there was like I, I'd wake up at three in the morning resetting our servers because there were so many memory problems. Like no one could host a Rails app well. Yeah, um, it was full of of drama. Um, like it definitely was a a risky choice I made back then. But I also didn't feel like I had the, uh, uh, a very, I wasn't speedy in developing. Like I came off of like a bunch of these EJB projects, um, you know, and, and, and working with like WebSphere and Oracle's application server. And I, I, I hated those environments too. I mean, there were so many problems. There was this, one of the last projects I worked on um, before I jumped into my own startup working on Ruby was like, I was, I was, Moving over from like Oracle's application server to, I believe, WebSphere, um, or maybe vice versa. I think, you know, maybe it was WebSphere to Oracle's application server because we had a, we didn't have a license anymore to WebSphere and we had this like grandiose, we, you know, we were one of the biggest Oracle 
clients. And so we had like, we could use any software from Oracle we wanted to. And it was like incomprehensible why this app wouldn't work anymore on Oracle's application server. Like it was the strangest thing. Like the performance of this one EJB, like just wouldn't work anymore. And it was like, I, I had to go to the core developers of the application server and they had to fix a bug, this root bug in their, their application server. And I was like, man, I feel really burned by this too. It's, it's this really complicated thing that like, I, so it was like, you know what? I'm going to take this thing. It feels like it's much more of an open source thing. You know, maybe I can fix problems as I find them. Clearly people are hot about it. Maybe the hype on this could also help me in my startup. I mean, this is something that that's kind of a, a an argument maybe against what I've been saying in this video, but maybe the hype of using Rails, I could become another kind of flagship Rails user and that will only maybe help get press for my startup. Um, so that was, you know, that was also kind of a, a, a thing in my mind when choosing it. But at what point did you really feel confident in the decision? I, I mean, I imagine in the beginning, you're just constantly fighting it. I imagine you also are in constant contact with the core team. Well, so back then it was like, it, that, that was one of the tricks with Rails, right? That I, I think back then was was a, a thing that tricked you almost. Rails was super easy to develop with, right? I mean, it, it, it felt very easy to get into, you know, like it felt really easy to like turn on scaffolding and all of a sudden you have like this mm -hmm. crud app that just works. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really realize how terrible of a place you were until you started getting some traffic and you had to, had to deploy this thing. You know, today it's, it's not quite like that. Um, you know, I'm sure people, people still have that complaint, but back then it was just even worse. So I almost felt maybe I was just so naive, um, that it felt like really good to develop with it. And then it was like maybe too late. We had already had this app running by the time we were doing any significant traffic and suffering from all that traffic. Um, I, to be honest, when did I feel confident with it? I don't know. I mean, I felt really good developing in it. Like it felt good. Like I could do things really fast in it. But then the hosting side of things was awful until we started having like dedicated hosts. And I forgot who we used. We used Rackspace eventually. There was someone else we used before Rackspace that was good. It's just a nice, you know, we had dedicated hardware, lots of memory, everything that we wanted to. Um, so it's like, I only felt maybe confident when we finally had dedicated hardware that could like run rails really well. Hmm. So what about now? I'm, I'm curious. I mean, it, it does bring back all kinds of memories for me too, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. necessarily the scaling issues, but some of the other ones yep. the apps that I built, you know, it's like deploying this thing. Okay. Well, can I just cut my arm off at the elbow and not do it? Um, but yeah. So today, do we still use rails? Is this still a good way to go or have things changed so much that it's like, Nope, go use Node. Yep, yep. So my opinion, and, and that's only since like, when I launched Draft, so I launched Draft in like 2000, you know, the writing software, drafting.com. I launched it in like 2015, I'm sorry, 2013. Um, and when I launched it, there were some definitely like, oh, okay, is, is Rails still good enough for this? Should I be using Node? You know, are there things that are faster than this? I'm making writing software. So there's going to be, and I want it, and it was all about auto-saving and version control. And it's just like, whoa, I'm going to be hammering the server with like, you know, almost keystroke by keystroke types of requests to make sure that this thing auto-saves properly. Is Rails going to cut it? And, and it did. I mean, Right now, Draft uh, can do significant amounts of traffic 
with just a pretty vanilla Rails app um, against Postgres using Heroku. And just from that experience, it's like, yeah, I feel like I, I can still meet the developer productivity that I enjoy. It's holding up against traffic, traffic spikes, you know, insane amounts of being on TechCrunch and whatever without falling apart on me. So I still feel very confident in Rails as a platform, something that I can be fast in developing something for, but then also it's likely I'm not going to hate myself for the choices that I've made and want to just throw it all away. That being said, there's times when I still rewrite things in Rails to be more performant that don't even use Rails anymore. You know, like we'll, we'll, we'll farm this out to a Go app or we'll farm this out to some other kind of, uh, I've used a, a Ruby asynchronous thing before that doesn't even use Rails because Rails is, is too slow sometimes for some really arduous uh, uh, performance um, characteristics. And so I, I still love Rails. I still love it as a, as a platform. I was going to actually ask you that because, you know, a lot of people, they, they use Rails and it'll continue to work for them. But then, it, you know, is it survivorship bias? You know, I got by on Rails over and over and over again. And so I just kind of know how to deal with it versus maybe seeing, you know what, I'm getting a ton of traffic and maybe a Phoenix app or something like that would handle it better. And it sounds like you're totally willing to go off and say, okay, maybe Go is a better fit for this, so we'll do that. Or we'll build this service in some other system. And, and I, I love that because then it says to me, you know what, we're using Rails for what it's good for, and we're using these other things for what they're good for. Yeah. I mean, we did that at Highrise. Like we built, I had this idea, like, could we create a very simple bulk email service? Uh, you know, there's so many bulk email tools, but I felt they were, they were also complicated. Even MailChimp, mm -hmm. it's a really good one. I still feel like there's a lot of hoops you have to go through to send yeah. out a, a MailChimp newsletter. So we could, could we do bulk email in, in Highrise, And I created it just in Rails. And it may, you know, performance wise, it's like, if this thing takes off, there's some characteristics here that might actually be pretty bad and scary, but I didn't worry about it yet. And, and I really wanted to prove that it would have some uptake with customers first. And it did. I mean, we saw like, oh yeah, customers are using this and, and they're, they enjoy it, but we do have some problems or some race conditions and some jobs and et cetera, et cetera. It, it was definitely kind of sluggish to use the stack we were using. So we rebuilt it and go. Uh, and it and it just purred after we did that. And there were some other reasons why we had to jump out of Rails. We were kind of forced to start over again. Mm -hmm. But it, yeah, I'm not afraid to like, let's use Rails to really prototype this thing, prove our point that customers enjoy it. Uh, we're really fast in producing with it. And then let's go to something that's maybe a little bit more difficult to use, but is just so much more performant down the line when we actually need it. Right. You know, yeah, but it, it, it Sorry, sounds Dave. a lot like uh, <laughs> it sounds a lot like you know this comes up on a lot of the things you've done, and and the reason I see some people maybe make mistakes in their tech stack is they're trying to say things like, well, I don't want to get burned on this, or let me think about if I can get to ten million users, would I use this instead of no, I need to. What is my priority risk right now? What's the thing I have to actually solve first? And and having the confidence to say that was a good choice, even though we moved on and did something different later. That's wisdom there. That, that, that means you've been around the block enough times and you can be practical about it. Yeah. And, and I think right now, yeah, it's like, I, I, I go in phases, right? Like, it's like, I have to recognize like, what is my priority in my life right now? Is it, is it starting something new and trying to reach new customers and get traction in which that's a p place where it's like, 
new customers will forgive things like performance problems, but in order to, to impress them, you need to get features to them as fast as possible and have conversations about, you know, things that problems you're trying to solve. And so you don't want to get bogged down with like, Hey, a customer asks you a new customer, you know, like, Hey, uh, you know, I'm working on this new thing now with like YouTube videos. I don't want to get on a call right now and talk to a potential customer who's like feeling me out. Like, am I, am I doing something new and interesting here? And they ask for something and it's going to take me a month to build for them. I need that thing turned around like tomorrow, even if it's not very good, at least to show them, Hey, I'm building something for you. Please stick with me as I'm, I'm fooling with a new product. Like, and that's kind of where I was with inkling back then with rails too. It was like development was important. Um, and I didn't feel like I was as fast at getting things done with Java. And then, and then I start to worry about things like performance and, and when, when I do have that traction with customers, like, it's like, Oh, okay, maybe we need to make some different choices now. So I'm definitely kind of like a, you know, what's my priority now and, and, and make different decisions, you know, based on, on those, those things going on in my life. And do you think that's really important to not, over-engineer a solution when you're just trying to get it off the ground to get your first user. You know, I think a lot of times we will have a end goal in mind and we just want to jump right to that end goal without experiencing any of the growing pains to actually reach that point. You know, I think it's good to have a clear definition of kind of where the product's going to go. And if you know that you're going to be building this feature set in, in the next few months or later that year, then you may want to organize your application to be able to sustain that kind of feature down the road, uh, but without over-engineering it. So it's always good to not paint yourself into a corner, but also to not go so far deep in the deep end to the final solution that you are spending too much time in that focus and missing out on even getting that first customer. Right. Yeah. I, I actually, I have another video out that's about like minimal viable everything. I feel like that, that term MVP came up, you know, that lean startup approach. And a lot of people really only think about it in terms of um, s like startup problems. You know, they, they recognize when MVP means I need to get a product out that just does the minimal viable thing to excite a customer, but then they don't apply that to everything else. They, they start over-engineering, you know, the product. They start over-engineering the company itself, worrying about its name, worrying about its corporate structure, worrying about so many things that really take such a lower priority to actually getting your first handful of customers. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I, I really try to focus on like, let's not over-engineer anything. And you'd be like ashamed of, of uh, if you saw, so I'm working on Film Hope right now, which is kind of a new thing. I'm trying to just see if this, this has any life. And so I'm trying to get my first customers again for a new product. And it's awful. I, uh, like, I, take, I take like the whole like skinny uh, controller fat model thing to a really reverse obscene direction in which like I've got so much code in my views. Everything is super slow. Um, and it's, it's really just because I'm trying to prove something and I don't care how it's engineered right now. I'll, I'll fix it when the time comes. Mm -hmm. well, I think it's interesting because when people talk about lean startup, it's what's the minimum thing that I can implement and they miss out on the, what's the minimum thing I can implement that will teach me enough to know what the next thing is that I need right. to do. Yeah. And, and so it's the focus for a lot of people is tiny steps and that does get you a ways down the road. But the other part, the part that they're missing is the part that's, 
you know what, I, I've got to experiment because um, I think I know what's going on, but my customers will tell me what they need. Yeah, or, or to use Ray Dahlia's uh, approach, instead of, am I right? How do I know I'm right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and just like, yeah, what experiments are working? And, you know, I, I applied these principles. I did it this way. Is that, is that real? You know, kind of, how do I know? Yep. I, I got a couple of questions for you around this topic. I, I, I love that you brought this up and I love that you have this mentality uh, where developer, and I, I was actually groomed this way as well, where I, I code first, get the product out and then worry about it later. The problem for me and what I've run into is that often there is no later. Um, and so what ends up happening is you, you dig this huge technical debt pit that is slowly building up. So I actually have two questions for you. First, have you run into that and, and where's the balance? And the second part is, do you find that the majority of developers out there don't have this mindset of ship first, fix later? And does that frustrate you as much as it frustrates myself? <laughs> Sure. I mean, you know, I think one of these things is just discipline and and maybe it's just because I've been doing it long enough that like I make sure I I switch between things and you can see it. Let's back up and talk about even another meta topic, which is like um, writing. Uh, Writing for a lot of people is very difficult because when they write, they try to edit themselves as they write, you know, and this is something I try to address in draft. And so people, they, they, they're, they're, they have a hard time with writing because as they write that first sentence, they, they're immediately playing it back in their head. And they're like, that's not good. That's not a good cho- word choice. Like no one's going to like that sentence. And they start, you, you watch people write and they're constantly deleting things. And it's like, this is crazy. Just get it out all on the page. Um, I actually worked with a student who was, who was having this problem. He's trying to get his college application essay out. And, you know, like I, I just kept watching him like try to edit. He, he read to me what he had and it was awful. And then I would watch him kind of how he would craft it. It was like, just this really like robotic, like, you know, he's, he's struggling with every sentence. And I was like, look, just talk, tell me what your background, don't worry about editing it. I'll, I'll write it down. And I just wrote what he said. And then we went back and edited the thing. It was like this two phase approach. And you demand, as you can imagine, that kid's article was insanely better after we did that. You know, we took it in two phases and, and, um, I like, uh, you know, Hemingway said like, write drunk, edit, no, yeah, write drunk, edit sober. And and I love it because like I don't I don't think he one, I don't think he actually said that. But two, I just I love just the phases about it, right? It's like write first, just focus on writing, get everything out on the page, then go back in the second phase. But it takes discipline. Not a lot of people do this. And so for me, software engineering, I feel like it's just that. It's like, I, I guess I know I have the discipline to do it. I'm going to write some crap code now to prove some things, to prove some hypotheses. And I have the discipline to go back later. There will be a later. You're right, though. I mean, I think a lot of people, they get caught up in like, oh, my God, things are taking off or they forget to go back and they have all this technical debt that haunts them. But I, I look at the, my work and it's like, you know, like I put together this this film home thing and I rebuilt a bunch of it when I decided like, Ooh, I like, I like what I'm doing here, you know? And so I spent a good week or two just kind of rebuilding a bunch of stuff that was garbage the first way I did it. And I think it's just the the practice I've had, the discipline I've, I've gotten in my head over the years. Um, that's, I don't know. That's, that's my solution to it so far. It sounds like what we all need to do is, is get super drunk when we're coding and then come back (laughs) later when we're sober and do all the refactors. A little no, bit. That, that's yeah. actually a good, I, I'm, I'm liking, I'm liking this discussion here. 
(laughs) (laughs) And I think a lot of it is um, planning, you know, actually put, you know, write down the different things that you need to do in the application. And then also write down in a separate list, like the things that you need to refactor, the technical debts that you have within the application, and then actually put it in a sprint, have a cleanup sprint or have a sprint where you are, dedicating the next three weeks or two weeks to actually address some of these issues. You know, I think that we, if we let it go too far on, like uh, just building and building up on the technical debt, then at some point you're going to start thinking to yourself, this would just be easier if we just started fresh or rewrote it. And you, you shouldn't ever have to get to that point if you're planning things out. And if you're being responsible to adding in those cleanup sprints, it doesn't have to be every other sprint. It could be like one or two sprints a year. Yeah. Um, I just did an interview with the visual studio code or some of the members of the visual studio code team at Microsoft um, when I was at Microsoft build and yeah, their process is a lot like that where the first sprint, so they do four weeks, um, or monthly releases, and the first week is a uh, tech debt cleanup. And then they do, uh, you know, two weeks of basically implementation, and the third week is just wrapping things up so they can prep to to deliver. That's cool. And, yeah, just, just building that in makes a ton of sense. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why, for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40-gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control, or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks, and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code RubyRogues2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is RubyRogues2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com careers to see their available positions. So Nate, you, re- you recently uh, released a video um, about uh, should we... Uh, use Ruby on Rails. And in that video, you talked a little bit about, you gave an analogy of, uh, I can't remember who, was it your father? My father, um, yeah. Yeah, can you kind of share the roughly your view on that video? And based on our conversation that we've had, it actually kind of contradicts a little bit about what I understood from the video. And sure. can you clarify sure. that? Yeah, sure. I mean, so the the video itself is, is a little bit about... Um, you know, my father was a, is a, is a builder, was a builder, you know, like growing up, he, he did like built so much of our house, uh, everything from like the fence around our yard to like, he built us this like beautiful basement that like I could, the, my sister and I could go do our homework in and we had a pool table and a ping pong table and just a beautiful recreation area. My dad did this all by himself. And so my dad was like, just, you know, I, I was never very good with, with my hands like my father was, but I, I would help on the projects and stuff. And one thing that always kind of stood out to me was like how old all of his tools were, you know, like he wouldn't go out and just constantly keep buying things. Like he had the same hammer, the same saw, the same circular saw my entire life. And I hated it. You know, it was so loud, but he never replaced it. He always had the same one. 
Um, you know, and so I, I just feel like that was an interesting analogy because like, I don't see a lot of builders today work like that in, in the, my, in my, our world right here, like in the, in the tech world, in the, in the software building world, we keep replacing our tools. You know, like if, if something bright and shiny is out, like we're trying to bring it into our stack. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a little like, I'm a little more cautious with, with that. You know, like I look at how good my father got at building things, how fast he was at it. You know, like he would, he, 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 the, one of the reasons he was so he built so much of this stuff is he would bring in people to get us a quote on a fence or get us a quote. And it would be like this thing that would just take forever for other people. But when my dad did it, it was fast. It would be done in a weekend and you know, he wouldn't have to worry about it again. And that's kind of what I see happening with a lot of builders today. It's like they keep bringing in new tools because they're fun. I mean, new tools are awesome. They, they promise the reason they're, they exist is because they promise something better than we had before. But then I, I watch them so slow at getting something done, you know, and a new feature, a new business started. They keep reaching for these new tools to build the new business. And then the new business just takes months and months and months to create anything anybody can use. And so I try to really lean and err on the side of using all the old stuff uh, to, get, to get anything built. Um, and then, and then like we've just kind of been talking about, you know, hopefully I have some discipline to bring in new tools and have other phases in my life where I, I kind of bring my head up, you know, from what I'm doing and, and look around at the environment and be like, oh yeah, you know, this is, that would have been, that's a, that's a cool new way of doing JavaScript there. I, I should be doing that versus all the, the crazy, you know, JavaScript calls I'm doing in, in draft right now. Um, so it's, it's, that, there, that was the analogy. And to add to that, you know, uh, the old carburetor cars, I don't know if you guys ever drove any of those, but those things just did not break down. And if they did, they were so easy to fix. Now, today, our computers control our cars. I mean, my stereo will adjust my turn on or off my tachometer. You know, everything <laughs> is electronic, driven, <laughs> multiple sensors and stuff. So if something breaks on this car, even if it's very tiny and minor, it's going to be so expensive to fix. Right. So I think that that's also what a lot of people don't realize when they just jump on the bandwagon of new technologies is that they're not thinking of the cost it's going to be when they have to go in and fix something. Now, in some cases, that new technology is very good and it's good to adopt, like the table saws that have the uh, human flesh detection that it'll just drop the blade that's a very practical thing you know that could save a life or or you know save a limb but at the same time that now you've added complexity to this item that now if it breaks it's going to be more expensive to fix or whatever else so i think it definitely is a give and take and to always jump on the newest shiniest thing you are also going to have to adopt a lot of risk or potential expensive repair down the road i was going to say i mean having the computer in your car and having it run everything yeah it makes it more complicated to diagnose certain kinds of problems but it vastly vastly increases your fuel efficiency it also makes it easier you know most cars built after about 1980 you just get that uh plug you plug it in and it'll tell you which system is having a problem in your car and so yeah i mean there's always a give and take but the thing is is you know if you know your tools well and i think this is the point that nate's making if you know your tools well and then you can really you know, get in and get the work done without having to figure out what the next step is. Yeah. 
Absolutely. So what I'm what I'm hearing out of this, um, both and Chuck, I'm glad you said that. That kind of is along the lines of what I was thinking. But um, the example with your dad, I, I totally I, I love that example, and I agree with that example. The thing that I have to point out, at least in my view, is that we're not being asked to build things nowadays that can be built with those original tools. We cannot build massive buildings and structures with these tiny tools. And we can build like the shed and the little house and that kind of stuff. But then it gets to a point where, okay, now we need to expand out. And I want to point out that um, from everything that I've understood here, it seems like Ruby on Rails is an ideal candidate for prototyping and early stage uh, development, early stage company. And then you can say, okay, because it allows you probably the most flexibility to pivot one way or another, as long as you understand those tools well enough. But then you get to a point where, okay, I am disciplined enough to know that there will need to be a refactor here. Maybe we need to extract this out to, into, to an external service. Maybe we need to uh, basically microservice down our application to use the right tools for the right portion of the application in order to scale properly and provide what we truly need to provide. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of the impression that I've got over this whole conversation so far. Would you say that's fair, Nate? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, sure. I mean, it, I like it. I mean, you're, I think you're totally right. Those are, those are some, that, that, that's a good analogy about, you know, talking about the big building and, and obviously different tools for these different jobs. Um, you know, one, one additional add to that though, I, I feel like people aren't very good at recognizing when their job is all they need to build is the shed and they try to build the giant building. You know, it's like, that's yeah. where they get confused. Um, yeah. They don't, they don't know that the smaller thing, the simpler thing, the less expensive thing is, is probably the, the one that the customer wanted to begin with, or the one that your, your business could have to begin with. Like I look at, at draft um, a lot of people, when I was making draft and thinking about draft, they were like, Oh my gosh, you got to like check out the new stuff that GitHub is doing with the Atom editor. And you got to get all this. You, oh, you got to check out this crazy, awesome, like, online code editor that uses like, you know, code folding and this, and it's like, well, do I, do I, I don't know if I do, like I'm just writing and I'm not sure people really need so much sophistication here. Draft, you, it, might, it might kind of, it blows some people's minds. Um, it's a text area. It is a text area. Like I'm not using a fancy div. There's some fanciness added on to it um, that, that there's like some overlaid stuff. Um, and, and maybe one day if I do get into some fanciness, I'll end up using some of these fancier things. But in the end, it was like, I don't need the, the building. I just need the shed for this right now. Um, so that's, right. yeah, yeah. But they totally could right. come across and say, well, we want certain features that are absolutely not possible with that text area. And you're going to have to say, okay, well, now's the time to move over. But in the process, you've received X number of customers and validated a product, which is really hard to do. Right, right, exactly. You know, and so um, doesn't yeah. Emacs have skyscraper mode though? And it's, it's an old tool. <laughs> Shut up, Chuck. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I'll pander to the Vim users. That's fine. <laughs> That's no, awesome. but I think a lot of people, you know, to your point, Eric, uh, it'd be awesome if their application reaches that point where they have to think about, okay, maybe we need to think about adding in some go extensions or whatever into our application to get more, to make it more performant. But I think 
that most of the applications that's being created out there will never reach that point. And that's not to brag on, though. It's just a reality of it. So I think that Rails is still one of the best choices for prototyping new applications for startups and to get a product, you know, out there for people to start using the quickest. And, and the wisdom here that I keep hearing all of you say is the maybe part. It's like, you know, what I'm doing is I'm solving a problem now and maybe something will change, you know, and, and it's really nice to think about all the things, but I think the reason I've really enjoyed working with a lot of you guys and building things with you, not just being on this, this podcast together is that um, it's that wisdom of knowing, yeah, but I'm solving this problem now. And um, I might end up in rails forever and I just don't know. So I'm just going to solve the first problems first. Yeah. Nate, with, with, let's say you started your career over and it started today and then you did another look. I mean, you initially chose rails because of the, the popularity and the, the um, expected stability long-term of it. If you were to start over today and and say, okay, I'm, I need to choose a technology. Would Rails still be your choice? That's a great question. Um, if I was starting today, you know, like it's, if I was going to re-choose, put myself back in 2005, yes, I, I would have still made the same choices of getting into Rails back then. If I were to choose today, however, given the environment, no, I, I think I would, I would be making some different choices. Uh, only and it's hard because it's hard to like imagine myself as completely new and fresh, but there have been some certain things when, man, I really wish I was using Python a little bit stronger and was stronger in my Python experience. I've been doing a lot more stuff with, with draft. I started down this path of, of getting more into machine learning. Um, there's this really interesting project that I, I never got to finish. Maybe I'll finish one day where I wanted to help people make their writing more concise automatically so that you, you know, you'd write something and the machine would just be like, you know what, this is a version of your, of your article that is fewer, fewer words that still looks probably okay. And there's a, there's academic research that has been done on this. And it just so happens the academic research is written in Python, I believe. And there's a lot of, maybe, maybe, maybe even it wasn't written in Python, but there's so much natural language processing and, and machine learning stuff that is, is good, really good in Python that is really terrible in Ruby. And like the, even this project I was working on, like I couldn't, I couldn't even train this model that I wanted. And I, I was trying to use Ruby um, and it, it, it just, it, it, it was so slow. It, it just wasn't good. And so I wish, I wish if I were to start over today, like, yeah, like my Python skills were stronger um, and, and maybe I was a little deeper in, in, in Python. Um, that isn't to say though, that like, if you're, if you're a rails developer, you should be freaking out right now. Um, you know, cause I, I still, you know, my, my whole career is still very, very deep and very good with, with rails, but maybe I would have made a different choice, you know, like rail, uh, or I would make a different choice today. Like, I mean, I look at Django and I look at the Python world and it, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't do what I was scared it was going to do back in 2006, you know, and, and, you know, I thought people were going to maybe possibly abandon Python back then, you know, maybe Ruby would take off in a way. And no, Python has still remained a workhorse today. Um, you know, from everything from, you know, machine learning to using it in like really interesting environments. We used Rails and Python at the Obama campaign. Um, and so, 
Yeah, maybe maybe I would have gone deeper there. But then I also see what like Laravel's doing and PHP, and that's kind of exciting to me too. I you know I don't know. It, it's a hard decision to make today. But but no, I definitely think there's some really exciting new things today that aren't Rails at all. You know, for me, the main thing that one of the main reasons why I would still choose Rails today if I was starting over, and I've been using Ruby on Rails for the past nine years or so, is that if you look at the Rails core, they are still improving. They are not just in a maintenance mode. They're adding in new features that a lot of Rails applications require or they want. Uh, with active storage, with the action cable, uh, file uploading in WebSockets and stuff, they're still moving towards the future, adding in Webpacker to make the JS fronting people happy. You know, so the direction that they're going, I think, is very heavily community-driven and focused on what the community is wanting and needing. And I think that's going to make Rails still relevant in the future. For sure, yeah. Yeah. What would you guys do? I mean, are, are you guys uh, still choosing to get good at, at Ruby on Rails? Or what, what framework as a, as a newbie would you choose today that you think you, you should go deep on? And, and get be, in 10 years, you're going to be really good at that. What would you tell someone new? You know, I've been thinking about this one for a while. Um, so I started about the same time as you with Ruby and Rails. It was before version one and uh, built a lot of great tools with it. But since then, I've built Node tools, uh, um, um, Python tools, Elixir tools, Clojure tools, a lot of other things. And, um, you know, I just don't think I could beat Rails from a, a starting position. You know, I, I got really excited. I, 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 we built a system with Elixir that does amazing things. And I love it. But I look back and I think about the learning curve and I think about what we did. And were we a little too sucked into what might be, you know, how much do we actually buy ourselves? And I know that some of the conversation and the thinking that we had around, well, what framework should we use involved? We wanted the top talent because it was a tough problem to solve. And so we wanted something that somebody would get excited about. And that might be a really important consideration that, um, look, if I can get this person that's got 20 years experience. And I really want their 20 years experience. I need their experience and expertise for this kind of a problem. Then that that's something to consider, but, but it's really hard to justify, you know, we, we, we've onboarded um, five new developers in the last month or so and watching them go through the learning curve with us and wondering, you know, and they all know Rails and they all know Ruby. It's like, well, did we make a good decision? I don't know. <laughs> It's for me, this is kind of a tricky question to answer, mostly because I find that most of the solutions out there will solve the problem well enough. And so it's like, you know, should new people go and learn this one or that one or the other one? You know, should they be learning Express or should they be learning uh, Koa, which are both, you know, uh, JavaScript node? Or should they be learning Phoenix or should they be learning Rails or should they be learning Django or should they be learning some other thing, you know? Um, They'll all solve the problem. Um, you know, it, it, I, think, I think the kind of the business and domain considerations matter more because you're looking at it and you're saying, does this solve the problem and does it solve it well? And when you're first starting up, and this is the reason why I think we, we keep coming back to, to, to start with Rails, when you're first starting out, you don't always know where you're going to end up. And so being able to move quickly is more important than, you know, having the app 
run 10 times faster on your server. And then what you may wind up doing is you, as you figure out what the problems are, you may figure out, you know what, we have a major concurrency concern here. And so we're going to scrap the Rails and we're going to rewrite it in Phoenix. Or you may find, you know what, everything's kind of good in Rails and we can probably fix up this prototype to a certain degree, save ourselves a whole bunch of effort and then move forward from there. Or you may find, you know what, there's something um, inherent in this that really lends itself to an event-driven model and so I'm going to go do Express. But, uh, you know, initially when you're just trying to move quickly, Rails seems to be the right answer and that's what we keep saying. But as a new programmer trying to figure out which one to go deep on, I don't think it matters. I think if you go deep on a technology, really learn it, figure out what, you know, because all of these tech communities kind of move in the same ways. So, you know, you get used to the way that the Rails community does things and then you go figure out, you know, the couple of things that the JavaScript or Phoenix communities do a little bit differently. And, and then you just fit right in and you've already got this breadth of knowledge that you can build upon. So if for, for new programmers, it's like, just pick one. Pick one that you think is going to pay off and go for it. Plus, it's the, it's the confidence pra- for a new developer. It's the confident practice that they want. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. you want them to have skills, but can they break down a problem? Can they, can they get things delivered? Are they confident with their workflow? It seems like getting past that yeah. big hump the first time of like, yeah, this is a really tough thing, but I've got something working. That seems to be harder than any one skill or any hundred skills. You know, it's yeah. just being able to confidently practice something and get things delivered. Yep. I'm going to kind of go against what all of you are saying here and throw in a different opinion. Um, I look at, if I was to start my career today and I looked at all of these different languages and frameworks, I would treat it as one of those pages where you'd say, okay, well, here are, you know, you go to those like uh, top 10 website things, right? Where you have, here are the five competitors and they all have little check marks on them and you go through and you say, okay, well, okay, how is the, the usability? Okay, y'all check, check, check. Okay, how is the um how is the the fun factor? Check, 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 check. How is the concurrency? Oh, skip that one, check, check, check. And then you know you go through and you say, okay, and then how is the 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 ability to rapidly develop? Check, 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 skip, skip, skip. You know, and all of that stuff you have to take into consideration. Now, for me, if I was to start from fresh, I would say, what tools will allow me to build rapidly, yet not hinder me for doing the majority of everything out there. Mm -hmm. And I think the concurrency problems with Rails and the speed problems with Rails are a massive, massive issue. Uh, I used to work for a company where we did, uh, we built a, uh, basically a telecom platform, not telecom, but a text messaging platform. We were sending well over 7 million messages per month uh, and receiving, receiving more than that or receiving a lot of inbound messages. It was just high concurrency. And we had sidekick on fire, right? That sucker was on fire, but the complexity of the application was so much. And had we just said, okay, we're going to spend three months migrate our brains from rails. Cause both he and I are, we're, you know, really good rails developers. Um, and then migrate our brains over to something new, but is, the path isn't too hard, like Phoenix and Elixir, most of the problems that we ran into would have been solved. Now, I'm not saying we wouldn't have had new problems, but if I was a brand new developer coming into the language, it's probably really bad to say on a Ruby podcast, but I probably wouldn't choose Ruby 
because I would want to choose something that provides the beauty and the benefits that Ruby and Rails provides, but doesn't have the cost. And the cost you have to pay for down the road. There's always a cost when you choose Rails, unless your app doesn't get very big. I, I can respect that. And actually, you challenging us a little bit made me think a little deeper. You know, from our perspectives, probably everybody on this podcast, we think about how would we lead? How would we start? How would we... Um, you know, go in front. But a lot, a lot of people, they want to be employees. They like the security of being part of a team. Mm -hmm. And if you wanted to join a team that is solid, that you know, you're always going to have a job and be able to make a good contribution, maybe on rails. You know, that is, if that's your, your driving factor, I'm not saying that's the only reason to do it, but my goodness, that's some great teams. You know, I, I could list a hundred teams off the top of my head of great teams to be a part of. And they're solid and they do good work and they deliver often and they're good to each other. And it's these Ruby environments. Um, you can count on that. So I, I do absolutely respect that. You know, like, like you said, had you been willing to think about things differently, you would have done things differently. But it, it, it made me remember, oh, yeah, some people are motivated a little differently than I am. And, and, and that's that's another good reason to, to respect Rouse. Yeah. One one thing that I just want to throw in here is. Um, on things that are like highly transactional. So, so, you know, you come in, you, you post, it does its thing and it returns a response. Rails does that really, really well. Um, you know, the, the scaling issues are mostly solved. Deployment, you know, is, is pretty well understood. And so a lot of these problems are pretty well solved. And so, you know, as, as far as that goes, I, I, I really do feel that, yeah, Rails is a great place to start. And then as you start to see these problems, I think Eric has the right idea. Oh, crap. You know, Sidekick's on fire, and all we're doing is adding gas, right? This is a problem. So find another solution, because at that point, it makes a ton of sense. Why stick with Rails if it's not solving your problems? And so, you know, but, but you can do that with a lot of frameworks. You know, I think Phoenix has a lot of the features that make it easy to move fast with Rails, and I think it, it, it lacks some as well. And so I think you just have to make, you know, look at it and say, okay, you know, where do I think my pain is going to be? Okay, I think I, we can move faster with Rails to begin with or faster with Phoenix to begin with. You get going down the road and then you may figure out, you know what, this, this really isn't the right tool. And I think that's a completely fair analysis of, of where things can go. Plus yeah. you get the, the bragging rights. I mean, we made, you know, Sidekick was on fire <laughs> or we put 1.3 billion records into Postgres through a Rails app in a, mm -hmm. over a couple of months. I mean, those are bragging rights too, to see how far can I push this and what problems can I solve. <laughs> yeah, as, as long as the pain isn't overwhelming, right? And, and sometimes we run into that where it's, you know, we, we kind of move into the place where we're in, we, we have the pain. And then we realize once we move off of that to something else, oh, this is a lot nicer. But, but yeah, don't stress yeah. yourself out to get bragging rights. <laughs> In the past few months, one of my applications has hit over 82 million psychic processes. So, I mean, it can handle a crap ton. So um, yeah. just throwing that out there. But, you know, to counter your point, Eric, um, I think that Rails is a great place to start. But, you know, let's forget about all the languages you already know. And let's say moving forward. So today, we're all either Elixir or JavaScript or Ruby developers. So where do you move on from here? Where do you go? And I think that you shouldn't just ditch Rails. 
or something like Elixir and Phoenix because you're just trading your web development uh, domain for another web development domain. Instead, do something like, you know, if you're doing Rails or Elixir, pick up Python that you can write extensions for, for your Ruby application that can do the machine learning and stuff or some other area, I, um, the Xcode or uh, Swift to work on iOS applications. You know, expand your overall knowledge and your horizon instead of staying in just one domain. Because I think that's going to make you a lot more of a um, well-rounded developer, but it also opens you up to a lot of other perspectives that you can take back to your core application or to your core uh, focus. Love it. Nate, yeah, do you have a, any input on that? Yeah, I mean, that's a really great point. You know, like, I, I think I think you're right. I, I think a lot of people keep, that's interesting, they keep replacing um, the, the thing that they're getting good at with something else now that they have to get good at. And so you're right, they just keep kind of replacing the one thing in, in web development where they'd probably be stronger, yeah, in, in growing growing uh, complementary skill sets. We kind of talked about that before we started this podcast, like, um, and, and uh you know, like we were talking, uh, Scott Adams book, right. We were talking about the Dilbert, Dilbert, uh, comic creator. He's got a really great essay, not just in the book. I, I think you can find it online in his, on his blog, but he talks about, you know, just that, like, you know, he, he, his success has come from a bunch of complementary skills that he's just kind of like layered and layered and layered on top. He didn't just focus at getting good only at, you know, cartooning or drawing. He doesn't even consider himself that good at drawing, but because he can write, because he can draw, because he knows a business acumen, he was able to kind of construct this, this Dilbert character. And so I, I, yeah, I totally like what you're saying there. Like instead of using all your time to kind of keep replacing the one tool, branch out, learn, learn, you know, iOS development, learn, uh, you know, something more, you know, that that's outside of just core web development. And, you know, you're going to probably layer up a little bit more like a, a Scott Adams does. I like that a lot. Yeah. One other thing I just want to add is that a lot of the things that we're talking about, as far as your ability to adapt and stuff like that, a lot of that boils down to how your team operates too. And I think we're, we're Mm -hmm. talking about the framework in this context, but there are so many other things that, that come into this. And so if you don't have those things in line, it may not matter what you use. You may just be dysfunctional and you may need to figure that out first. Yeah. You know, for example, if I'm a team lead on a project and if we found that Rails is just not suiting our needs in one area, and so we determined that we can write a extension, that a Ruby extension in another language that can handle these very complex functions or offload it to uh, AWS Lambda to do like image resizing and manipulation, that that's not a task that we want to be done on our Ruby servers, then that's something that is very possible. If 90% of our team is very comfortable in something like uh, Go or Python or another language, then I'm not going to go out and learn C to write C extensions with the application. Now I'm going to pick something that's going to be best meshed with the team that they're going to be able to support as well. Because otherwise, I'm then going to become the owner of this area of the code with no hopes of them being able to contribute if I'm ever out sick or whatever the case. So I think that you're absolutely right, Chuck, taking the team into consideration when making some of these decisions, either for your own personal growth 
or for the team growth, uh, they're all important things to take into account before heading down a certain direction. I like that. Leadership is getting everything going in the same direction. And if, uh, if I can't go there with my team, you know, I might be great and brilliant, but that doesn't matter if it's not about delivering something and, and doing it together. Yeah, that's interesting. We, we, at high rise, we, we, we were lucky. We, uh, you know, we, we had a team of like some, some strong rails developers, but then we also had like a, a CTO, like, uh, Michael Dwan, who, who was my CTO, who, who could, uh, you know, take us in a different direction when, when things, you know, he was the reason why we, we rewrote, you know, this, this bulk email portion that we talked about earlier in go. Cause you know, he was, he had the chops to be able to pull that off. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's interesting how the team dynamic really does help, help drive that. If, if you've got, uh, if you've been able to craft a team that can support like going deep in one language or, or solving some of the problems, I mean, that's, that's probably obviously ideal. Yeah. I like that. Plus it's a lot of fun if, if there is that congruence with the team, you know, I mean, I, I like that the idea of congruence being that my intentions and my actions match. And if that happens with more than one person, it starts to get magical. It gets to be a lot of fun. <laughs> so having fun with people and building something we can be proud of is, is why I stay in the business. Yeah. yeah. Getting everybody on the same vision and then making that a reality. It's really powerful. Yeah. All right. Well, so I think you're, you, oh, I'm going to say one more thing, Nate, you're an inspiration, man. Uh, you're, you're one of those guys that just well, goes out, comes up with the ideas, executes using technology that you, that you know and love, and you've proven it time and time again. And the best part is you share your knowledge. Thank you. You share your, and, uh, I, I just love that. So Thanks. Uh, th- thank you for being on the show. You're it's awesome. Well, I mean, I love doing this and, and talking with you guys. This was really great meeting you. So no, thanks for inviting me. Um, and, and I, I love hearing that. So thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and it's not easy. Like, I'll tell you that too. Like I go through all the downs too with doing this stuff. I mean, and you can see a lot of it. Like this has been, been kind of a rough 2018. Um, I'm in really good spirits though. There's some new stuff kind of brewing, but um, you know, these projects, when I start something new it's tough too. I'm flailing. I don't know what I'm doing. I have tons of doubt about my choices, whether it's the technology or whether it's like, I understand what my customers want. It's tough to get those meetings with customers too. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I, this is a painful process for me as well sometimes. And, and, um, but yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks. I'm, I'm happy me sharing this stuff gets, gets, gets something for people. Yeah, thank you. It works for me as well. Yeah, it's an inspiration. The thing I've loved about Ruby and Rails in general, by the way, is is people like you have come to it. You know, that this is an environment where people get things done and they they figure it out. And like you said, these things can be really tough. Customer meetings, getting it done, technology decisions. This isn't easy, but this is where people get that done. And that's that's amazing. That's, that's not very common. I, I just see this over and over again in our community. And then I look around and realize, oh yeah, that's not... <laughs> that's not the general population. You know, there's a lot of places that do great work, but, um, but we're definitely, you know, people that take it on, take on the hard things and they're open about it is, is very beneficial for me to learn from you guys, from you, Nate, and from people in general. Thanks. Cool. All righty. Well, let's do some picks. For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, 
and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Dave, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, sure. I have a couple of picks. One is a Nest Hello. It's a doorbell camera. You know, I've always been really weary about those and never really given them too much thought. But last night as I was kind of heading up to bed, someone I saw someone like peeping in and I couldn't get a good visual of them. I'm like, maybe if I had a Nest Hello camera or something there, a Ring Pro or something, that might have deterred them if they knew that they were being recorded 24-7. So apparently there w- there's been a string of robberies around. So Yikes. that's my first pick, you know, home safety. Uh, and my second pick is uh, this Mother's Day, this past Mother's Day, uh, a family that I don't know, their house burned down and everything is a total loss. They're expecting a, another child in the next couple of weeks. So they have a GoFundMe page up there. So if you have any spare cash and you want to donate, uh, we'll post a link to the show notes on that. Um, they were really devastated. So Awesome. Beautiful. Always great to help people. Yeah, uh, David, what are your picks? Today is uh, Tom Wolf. Uh, we just got the news that he had passed. Um, just a couple of months ago, I, I put on The Right Stuff again. If you haven't seen that show, watch that show. That's my pick is The, the Right Stuff. He wrote that. It's about the space program, the very beginning of the space program. And the reason I rewatched it was just to find that that inspiration, that insight of, of doing doing hard things, going leading out, making something work, you know. And no, I'm not doing anything as heroic as <laughs> going to the moon. But, uh, you know, uh, great guy. In fact, I just got another one of his books arrived uh, in the mailbox last night that he wrote. Um, great guy. So anyway, the right stuff is my pick today. All right. Uh, Eric, what are your picks? Yeah, I got a couple of picks. Um, the first one is uh, the ThoughtWorks uh, Tech Radar. And they come out with it every year. And it's uh, Martin Fowler, uh, Martin Fowler's company, ThoughtWorks. And they talk about all of the different technologies and tools and platforms and techniques that, that should be adopted, trialed, or assessed. And... Um, Basically, when it hits that adoption point, as we were talking about before, you can feel very confident in the, in the longevity of that, of that product or service or, or, or whatever it might be. And so it's always fun not only to explore this, to know, to, to know like, okay, I'm on the right track, but also to know really what's up and coming in technology. You know, this is, this is where I go to find my bright and shinies, right? So the uh, the uh, tech radar on ThoughtWorks. The other thing, which I absolutely love, um, I went to a hackathon at South by Southwest, and they had for one of the prizes, uh, uh, Amazon was there, and they had the Amazon Echo Show, and the Amazon Echo Spot. Um, and I'd never heard of the spot. I'd seen the show, but I'd never heard of the spot. So the show is like this, this little TV, this touchscreen TV that you can set. And it's, it's basically an, uh, an Alexa thing. And then the spot is like this little ball 
Um, and I, I'll show you guys mine right here, right? It's this little ball of, uh, of, of goodness. It's a touch screen, but it, it's, it looks like an alarm clock. And the wonderful thing about this and kind of talking about what you were talking about, Dave, is that I can say, Echo, show me the front porch. And then it will go and show me the front porch. It'll, it'll hook into my camera and I can see it. Or I can call my, see, I'm looking at the front porch right now. Um, or I can, uh, you know, talk to family or anything like that, but video chat. So I, I didn't realize, it's one of those products that you don't realize you need it until after you get it and integrate it into your life. Uh, and so, yeah, that's my other pick. Nice. Yeah, they look pretty cool. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, I already mentioned one and that is, the Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Pat Lencioni. Um, he has a whole bunch of books about leadership, and they're all really terrific. Um, and, and I really, really enjoyed that. Another book that I recently read was Life Promises for Leaders by Zig Ziglar, um, which was also really, really terrific. And so I'm going to pick both of those. And, uh, you know, just in light of some of the things I've been going through, um, I just want to encourage everybody just to take some time and spend some time with the people you care about. Nate, what are your picks? Well, I'll, you know, I mentioned that I love that Scott Adams book. I know he's been kind of a controversial figure after the, uh, the Trump election for some people, you know, depending on where your, your politics lie. Uh, but I think everybody would get, get a lot out of, out of Scott's uh, book about his, uh, it was the, his previous book about kind of how he kind of got up in, in cartooning and, and kind of his biography, uh, autobiography, um, Another really great book that kind of leads me in creating things is this book that I feel like no one has ever read. It's called Something Really New. And the author's name escapes me, but it's, it's this book about just how to think a little differently about making products, innovative products. And it's, it's kind of shocking how simple his process is of thinking of it. But I also think it, this is something that's just like, it's, it's kind of subtle that a lot of people don't think, think about. It's all about like removing steps in, in jobs people have. Uh, and it's something that, that kind of has, has led me in, in, in some, some of the things that I've built. One other thing, the last thing I'll mention is it's uh, allergy season and air filters are like really key in my life. Like I've got really bad allergies and 3M just came up with a Bluetooth uh, air filter for, you know, you, that you put in your, you know, your, your, if you've got like uh, central air or central heat in your house, they've got a Bluetooth air filter that goes in your system and you can monitor it on your phone and it will alert you when you need to replace the air filter. A lot of people forget to replace their air filters and it like gives them headaches and all sorts of other terrible things. So um, I really recommend these like 3M Bluetooth uh, air filters. Um, and yeah, Chuck, to, to echo what you said, like I've had a bad 2018 too with like parents' health and friends' parents and like, yeah, it's been rough. Um, and so I agree, like, you know, all this stuff with work kind of gets in the way, but man, it's also been like a, a grounding moment this year of, of uh, spending more time with loved ones. And, and we, we talk about Ruby and all this tech and all this stuff, but holy crap, will I, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad I'm, I'm spending, I think I'm trying to spend as much time these days with family because yeah, this stuff is fragile and um, yeah, it's, it's tough. So I, I feel you. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's tricky because I mean, sometimes you know that it's coming and sometimes you don't. And you know, for us, we had been told that my dad was getting better and then he was gone. And so you just don't know. 
I mean, the, the other thing is, is that when you're going through the hard stuff, it's nice to have people around you. And I've had a number of people just reach out and, you know, hold me up. Uh, people from church, people from who listen to the shows, um, people from the Ruby community here locally. Um, you know, some of you know Alan Maxwell. He's been, we've been texting for about two weeks about this. And, you know, he's been super supportive. Um, he actually gave me a pass on not speaking at Ruby Hack, which I still feel bad about. But, uh, you know, it was just, it was that week and that that's the way it went. But yeah, um, the other thing is, is when we found out we were all together for my sister's wedding. And so just being with family when things get, get hard, it's, it's also very um, empowering. So yeah, yeah, I don't want to belabor this too much and I'll probably start bawling if I talk more about it. Sure, yep. But, um, you know, yeah community is so important and the people that you care about matter and you always think you'll have more time until you don't. Yep. So just, just make it a priority. And then, you know, just a big thank you to everybody in the community that's, you know, been supportive on Twitter and Facebook and wherever you've seen me complaining about how I feel. Yeah. There was a quote I saw on Twitter yesterday. I'll leave that as my last pick. It was something in it. I'm going to butcher it because I don't know it exactly, but it was something like, no matter how you feel, no matter what you're going through, there's always, there's always guaranteed someone who will listen to you. Um, and I know, I mean, that's, it's, it's been tough. Like there's been some very lonely moments this year, but it's like, yes, like you're saying, like there's been so many great people that have reached out online, you know, in person and have been there for me. Um, I also, you know, so I, I dropped my email address in all my channels too. If, if there, if I can help anyone, whether it's an entrepreneurial project or just just listen or just you, you need to tell me a problem you're going through, please get a hold of me. I don't know if you can drop my email address somewhere, but it's, it's just natecotney at gmail.com. If anybody needs to email me, please do. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to help anyone I can too. Yeah, we usually actually ask for that. So um, I, I see you're on Medium and uh, you, know, you put stuff on YouTube, but wh- where do people find your thoughts and things like that? Yeah, I mean, probably the, these days I spend most of my time talking about stuff on YouTube. I'm just at Nathan Cotney on YouTube. I put out a video every day. Um, so you can usually kind of catch catch up there. And Twitter, just Nate Cotney on Twitter is the best place. All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming and talking to us. And, thanks for having uh, me, guys. Yeah, we'll wrap this one up and we will be back at you next week. Great. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. See ya. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.